Well, let's get our Bibles out. And uh, I don't want you to panic this morning, but uh, I need you to open to John chapter 1, page 1221 in the Pew Bible in front of you. And as you can see, uh, this uh, greatly abbreviated time that we have together this morning, I'm about to preach through the entire book of John. So, brace yourself for what's about to happen, okay? And, uh, but you know, I'm I'm not going to be with you for a couple weeks, so I got to get all this out of my system. And then, uh, you pray for me as I'm seeking God's direction for us as we go into the year to come. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this faith family. Thank you for the joy it is to be together to be known by you and loved by you. Thank you for each baptism we celebrate today. Thank you for those who come to celebrate with them. Thank you for all the things you have in store for us this afternoon, for our community. Thank you for the opportunities we have to be your hands and feet, God. We could thank you for hour after hour after hour and never even scratch the surface of all the reasons why we're grateful. But most of all, it's for Jesus. May he be glorified in this time as we look at him through your word. Give us ears to hear, we pray, for your honor, glory, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to finish up this series on discipleship that we're calling B. And uh, then the other pastors are going to move back into 2 Corinthians over the next couple of weeks. Um, And then... I'll come back and we'll uh, do a Christmas series and then we'll finish 2 Corinthians. I'm very excited about that. So let's talk a little bit about this issue of discipleship. Now we're going to finish by we've looked at all these different facets of discipleship. Last week, Pastor Brian uh, talked about discipleship together in, in, in the context of family. Now I want us to just take a broad step back as many of us are are thinking now about uh, leading D groups in the year to come, being a part of D groups in the year to come, uh, examining, you know, wh- where are we in this discipleship process? And I think there's a, a tendency for us to get a little confused sometimes. Maybe we overcomplicate things that aren't that complicated. And so I just want you to see through God's Word this morning a very simple, uh, easy, outline of discipleship and how Jesus discipleshiped uh, the Apostle Peter. So let's get a few uh, technical things out of the way. First of all, when it comes to discipleship, you have to understand that in and of itself, discipleship is a paradox, if you have your listening guide. And it's a paradox in this, that although we cannot do it on our own, it will not be done for us. Now, you got to think about this for a second because we live in a world that's constantly trying to convince you otherwise. But that is not the case. And so the, the, the church as a whole today is filled with people who are very confused about this. People who think that, that coming to Jesus is a, a, a ticket to heaven. That is not what coming to Jesus is. That is not what following Jesus is. It is not a a free pass out of hell. That is 
Not at all what it is. It's not something that's done to us. Salvation is something that's done for us. But discipleship is something we cannot do on our own, but it will not be done without us. And so uh, when I hear people constantly say things like, well, I've never been discipled. That may be true, but the problem with that is, is that you're inferring that it's someone else's job to disciple you. It's your job to be discipled. That's your job. You can't sit around and wait for somebody to walk up to you and disciple you. That's not how this works. You have to take responsibility for your life. And so it's, uh, you know, we, we just have to, to think through this. See, because when you look at the Scripture, here's what you see, is that every follower of Christ is created by God, saved by God, commanded by God, and intended by God to make disciples. And obviously, you can't make something you're not. And, and here's where I think a lot of the confusion comes in, is that you hear a statement like that, and you, so many of us would immediately begin to think of ourselves as not, have not been discipled, not confident enough to, to make disciples. I need more time. So maybe you've been a Christian for five years or ten years or whatever the case may be, and, and it's con- you're always going to feel like, see, being discipled is like being a parent, which I don't think anybody in this room has been a parent more than I have because I'm just doing it all over again. And it doesn't matter how, many, how long you've been a parent, here's the deal. You never feel like you've got it all together or you're doing a good enough job or that if you could do it over, you wouldn't change it or whatever. It's the same way with discipleship. You're not going to come to this point in time and just think, oh, well, I've got everything. No. And so the problem is, is that when we... Look at the facts that we've been created, we've been saved, we've been commanded and intended by God to make disciples. It's so easy just to think, well, I, I just need, I'm not ready. I, I'm, I'm not, but listen, Jesus, when he comes to the disciples in the beginning and invites them to, to follow him, he says, I will make you fishers of men. Now, they drop everything and follow him. Now, he doesn't say, you are fishers of men because you followed me. Because you followed me, I will make you. So there is a process. It's not this instantaneous transformation that, okay, here I am, God. I trust you. I believe you. I, I'm I'm surrendering to you, and then boom, you're, it's, it's not, it, there's a, he's going to make you. So there's, it's a, there's time. It, it's going to take a minute. So if we think about discipleship, let's think of it this way. The process which progressively brings followers of Jesus from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity so that they are then able to reproduce the process to someone else. So what I want to do is just simplify the process to help you. I'm not unsaying all the things that we've said in the past, not only in the past few weeks, but my goodness, year after year after year. I mean, we've talked about this uh, to the nth degree. I just, want to, I just want us to look at it from another angle, and maybe this will help some of us 
uh, see clearly what it is that God is calling us to do and how does this work? How does this work? So what I did was I, I've been reading through the Gospels in my devotional time and I decided to go through the Gospel of John start to finish and just follow one thread. And so I chose the thread of the Apostle Peter, the disciple Peter, and just every time his name comes up in the Gospel of John, what is going on? What is Jesus doing? How did Jesus take Peter from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity so that he could then reproduce that in other people? How did that happen? All right, so you look, John chapter 1. You're going to be flipping your Bible a lot, so stay with me. John chapter 1, beginning in verse, let's look at 35. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus, as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? Which seems like a strange thing to ask. He says to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. So the way Peter first is introduced to Jesus is by someone else, his brother, who brings him to Jesus. But this is what I want you to see. Peter goes to Jesus and starts following Jesus. But who does he think Jesus is? He's following him. He left his nets. He dropped everything. He left his family. He's following Jesus. But he doesn't know who Jesus is. He's following his expectation of what he thinks Jesus is. He hasn't spent any time with Jesus yet, right? So when a brand new Christian starts the journey, they don't even know who they're following yet. You didn't, and I didn't when I first started. We have this idea, but the first thing that's going to happen is we're going to realize that m many of our expectations about God are wrong. And so what, what Peter is, what we see is Peter is following this expectation of he thinks what all these Jewish men think. They think that the Messiah is going to come and liberate them from the, the tyranny of, the, uh, of being uh, occupied by the Romans. That's not Jesus' agenda. That's people's agenda. So the first step is, we, we think about this, we go, well, how does Jesus teach Peter who he is? Well, the, this is step one. It's who, who, what. That's the process in your D group. That's the process in your life. Who, number one, am I following? Who am I following? Because when we come to God in the beginning... We may, be, uh, we may be genuinely saved. We may be uh, converted, new, new creations in that moment. But we're, we're still struggling with questions like, why does God 
allow so much evil? Or why is there war? Or why is there human trafficking? Or why is there, you know, abused children? Or why, you know, all of these things. You know, why, why does God do this? Or why did that happen? Or what's going on with this? And we have all these ideas about how God's going to fix that. Fix things in the world. Fix things in my life. Fix things in my family. We don't, we got to figure out who God is. Well, here's the thing. Jesus has no interest in being who we want him to be. But he's totally devoted to revealing who he is to those who have interest. And this is the first stage of discipleship. In the beginning, so when I start a D group with a group of people, the first thing that I'm accomplishing in the first several months of that D group is I want the people in my D group to understand who God is. I'm looking at them. I'm listening to them. And every time we're together, I'm analyzing their knowledge of who they're following. Do they know who they're following? And now, how does Jesus do this with Peter? Look, flip to John chapter 2. Verse 1, on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana, Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. So we see Peter is with Jesus at a wedding. Now, what does a wedding have to do with discipleship? You would think nothing. It's something. Because Jesus not only intentionally goes to the wedding, but he intentionally takes Peter with him. Because wherever Jesus is, whatever he's doing, he wants Peter with him. One of the ways that he reveals to the, the disciples who he is is by having them follow him around. Look down at verse 16. He goes into the temple. He's cleansing the temple. And the Bible says in verse 16, he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not, do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Verse 17, then his disciples remembered that his written zeal for your house has eaten me up. You see, Again, at a wedding, the disciples are there. Jesus cleansing the temple, the disciples are there. All of these instances. And so what's happening is, is that as I'm doing life, as you're doing life, we're taking people along with us as we're doing life. We're talking about things that are going on in our life. That's why we say, you know, what are the highs and lows of the last week? Is because it's important not just for you to get people to share with you, but for you to share with them. In other words, if I've got a new Christian, I want them to know about my life and know about my family and know about my marriage and know about my my walk with God. They're learning from that. We're going to spend time together. We're going to grow together because you got to figure out who God is. And the way to figure out who God is, is to just be exposed to all the things that people who are following God do. See, all of these things, it's this encompassing of, of life together. They're with Jesus. Then you go to chapter four. They're there uh, when Jesus uh, talks to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. They're there when he heals the nobleman's son. In chapter 5, they're there at the pool of Bethesda when Jesus uh, heals a lame man there. They're witnessing all of these things. Now they're seeing his power and his agenda. Now, again, remember, you just think that these are things that are happening. Jesus isn't just doing these things to show the world who he is. He's also instructing the disciples. Because remember, they think that he's going to liberate them 
from all the things they don't like. He's revealing to them he has this immense power, but he's using the power to do other things instead of the things that they want him to do. It's all a part of just revealing himself to them so that they, they know who it is they're following. Then let's, we get to this transition in, in chapter 6. Look at John chapter 6, verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over to the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude follows him. So he's at the pinnacle of his fame. Because they saw the signs which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus goes up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. So he takes his disciples. When he goes off to get away to be quiet, he takes them with him, lets them uh, see how he, uh, how he interacts with the Father. He's spending time with them. He's just revealing himself to them. Then he, uh, Jesus walks on water. You have all that. Then he says in uh, verses 22 and following, he tells them that I'm the bread of life. He's preparing them for this big moment. Then he says in verse 53, look down at verse 53. Now he just told them about him being the bread of life. And this whole issue of feeding the 5,000 happened. They see all that. They're involved in all that. Okay, in verse 53, then he says to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no, li- you have no life in you. All right, so... Now he's starting to bring it down. He's starting to really whittle it down to the basics. He's going, this is the commitment level it takes to follow me. All these other ideas you had about me, forget all that. This is what it is. If you want to be my disciple, then I'm to be to you like food and like water. In other words, this is sort of the, you know, take up your cross and follow me. you got to deny yourself. This is the, the, what it takes. This is Jesus saying, hey, verse 65. And he said, therefore, I've said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by the Father. So he's reminding them of this. Then verse 66. From that time on, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. So you see that when, when people come to faith in Christ... We, we don't know. You understand that? We don't know. The jury's still out. We say, hey, you know, they got saved. But I don't know if you're saved. We got to find out. It's going to take a minute. And so when you figure out who Jesus is, when you're confronted with who he really is, then... What are you going to do? Now, see, some people are in church for a long time, depending on what that looks like, depending on what kind of church that is, depending on how accurately they've been taught. Who knows? Then there's people like me who come from nothing to something. So I wasn't in church. I didn't know anything. But the point is irrelevant to however that works out. There still comes a point in time where you get to this crossroads of this is what he's requiring, and people who were classified as disciples really weren't. And they walked away and followed him no more. And so Jesus says in the next verse, do you also want to go away? And Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. 
And we have come to believe and to know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is a transition moment in Peter's life. Now, Jesus has spent all of this time revealing who he is. Peter now sees that not everyone that claims to be a disciple is a disciple, and all these people are leaving. And here's what's happening. His his expectations in this moment get shattered because he thinks that he's on the inside track to this rock star Jesus who's going who's gonna to do all these amazing things for uh, the Jews, and he's going to be on the, the inner circle. And he just realized, no, most of these people aren't interested in what it really is, and they're walking away. And so he's realizing, so this isn't going to be this popular, amazing, fun thing that I thought it was going to be. It's going to be different. And he said, well, well, to whom shall I go? For we've come to believe that, you have the, uh, that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. So clearly, things have changed for Peter, right? He now understands who Jesus is. That's the declaration he makes. All right, I know who Jesus is. I, I know, I got an idea of what it's required, what, it, what, it, what it's going to look like to follow him. So let's get busy and let's start doing. Well, not so fast. That's not what happens. See, the next thing that happens is Jesus transitions Peter to answer the question, well, who am I? See, Jesus first wants him to know who he is, but now... Peter needs to know who Peter is. Now, now why? Because now that you know what's required of of this God who, who has saved you, now you're a new creation. Now you've got to figure out who am I in you? Who am I? You can't go forward. You can't do anything until you answer this question. See, Peter knows who God is, but he doesn't know who he is in God. And this is where we see the second step of the process. So the next thing in disciple in a D group that I would move to is now, now I move into this identity phase where I want these guys that I'm meeting with every week to understand who they are. Who are they? So see, when you, you get to the end of John chapter 6, I want you to notice something. Look, if we don't know who we are, how could we know what we're supposed to be doing? It, it doesn't make any sense, does it? No. So, so notice the very end of John chapter 6. So after this whole declaration of we've come to know and believe that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, they've got this in the transition. Notice what happens. Lord, to whom shall we go? All right. Verse 70. Jesus answers and says, not, hey, great, you got it. You know, he, he answers and says, did I not choose you, the 12? What in the world is that? Jesus is just telling us what he's doing. He's telling us what the next step is in Peter's life. Did I not choose you? This is a statement of identity. That's what's going on. See, our identity is not defined by the world. It's defined by the fact that God chose us out of the world. That's what Jesus is doing. It sounds like Jesus is saying something totally disconnected to what Peter just said. But because Peter just 
said something that declared he gets the first part of this process, Jesus just transitions right over to the next, the next thing. Now, the next time Peter's name shows up individually, we're all the way to John 13. Flip to John 13. I told you we were going to move fast. Now we're the night before Jesus is going to be crucified. The disciples are in the uh, upper room. The Bible says in verse 6, Then Jesus comes to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Now understand, he's washing his feet. So what are you asking? You know, I've got a basin of water. I've got a towel girded around me. I'm, I'm you know, it's, it's obvious what I'm doing. And Jesus says, well, what I am doing, you do not understand now. But you will know after this. And Peter said to him, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Now understand, you, you, you see how Peter is still trying to figure out who he is? He's confused. This is the, he's got an identity crisis. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also... My hands and my head. Peter's still trying to put him, he's still trying to put him into this equation. He's trying to manipulate the situation. He's trying to make this how he thinks it ought to be. He's still trying to figure out who he is and how this is going to work out. And Jesus said, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. In other words, here's what Jesus just said to him. He, he said, Peter, you're forgiven, but you're not flawless. He's getting him to understand this principle of who, who, how, how does my identity in Christ work? I am an utterly forgiven child of God. But I also have to understand that I'm in desperate need daily of God. I'm forgiven, but I'm not flawless. See, I've been perfected, but I'm not perfect. We gotta, this is, that's identity. That's understanding who, who I am. See, and this is, the, this is the, what, what God's teaching. Because it, when, you're when you're going through a discipling process and you're talking about identity with people, here's what you've got to understand. Most people base their identity on their performance. That's what Jesus is slaying right here in Peter is this issue of basing who you are and what you do. That's why he said, listen, you, you need me to still clean your feet. You've been bathed, but you need to be washed. See? See what's happening right here? Because what happens if you define yourself according to what you do or define yourself by what's been done to you, you are going to put yourself in a terrible situation. See? If the root of your identity is in performance, then you will forever misdefine yourself. You will forever. You cannot find your identity in your performance. But that is what we've been culturally indoctrinated and raised and bred to do. And so God's dealing with this issue. Then in the following verses, 31 through 35, he's announcing his departure. 
And then watch what happens. Now remember, he's saying, look, you've been forgiven, but you're not flawless. And then watch what happens. In 1336, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me, but you shall follow me afterwards. And Peter said, well, Lord, why can I not follow you now? You see how obvious this is? You see this identity crisis he's, he's dealing with? I will lay down my life for your sake. See, he doesn't understand. He's still mixed up. And Jesus said, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Now he's about to get the ultimate lesson in the fact that he's forgiven and not flawless, isn't he? So then in verse uh, chapter 18, circle these verses in your Bible. The three denials, three times in one chapter, he denies Christ. Circle verse uh, 17, verse 25, and verse 27. 17, 25, and 27. There's the three times that he denied Christ. Okay, then flip to John 21. Peter shows up again in John 21. We get to John 21. The disciples are by the Sea of Galilee, and what's happened? Now Jesus has died. He's been buried. He's risen from the dead. And the disciples are back fishing. And who led them back to fishing? Peter. Who was the one that said, well, I'm going back fishing. And the other one said, okay, we'll follow you. Peter. And so he leads them back. And, you know, they've been out all night and can't catch any fish. And Jesus is on the shore. But they don't know who's there. And then he tells them to throw it on this side. And they get all these fish. And then they realize that it's Jesus so we've answered, you know, who am I following? Who am I? And then we go to the, the third and final phase, which is now, what do I do? You see, you have to be before you can do. So now that I understand who this God is that I'm following, and I understand who I am in Christ, now we start to have conversations about doing. So this would be the the third phase that we'd move into. Now watch how Jesus does this. So Jesus is on the shore. They, you know, bring all the uh, fish ashore. He's got a uh, fire there, and they have breakfast together. Look at verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And then Peter said to him, well, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, tend to my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said this a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, I want you to understand, three times he's, he's, now, he's now washing his feet. He's washing these three times he denied him. He's now going back three succinct times. And every time now that he knows who God is, that he knows who he is, then the declaration is to do something. You see that? Feed my lambs, tend to my sheep, feed my sheep. Look down at verse 18. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself up and walked where you were 
uh, where you wish, and when you were old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying what death would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to them, underline it, follow me. You see that? Then look at verse 20. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, that being John, and also uh, leaned on his breast at the supper. And he said, Lord, who is this one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Talking about John. Jesus said to him, if I will that he remains till I come, what is that to you? Follow me. In other words, notice we've, we've now come to full circle. What started out as, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Where did we end up? Following. But we went from a hopeful, I want to follow you, but I don't even know who you are, and I don't know who I am, and I, so I certainly don't know what to do, to now that we've gone, we've answered the question, well, who are you and who am I? Now we can actually have a conversation about what to do, and what is it? We're going to follow him. See, in the beginning when he said, follow the invitation to follow me, the jury's still out. Now, we end where we started. So this is what I want you to see. True disciples follow Jesus, period. The question is, well, what does that look like? Like you, I mean, if you're sitting here this morning, you say to yourself, well, I mean, how do you know if you're following Jesus? I think I'm following Jesus. I mean, I don't know. Well, it's not that complicated. See, you can't succeed in Jesus. In, in a, you can't succeed in his ways. Meaning you, you can't do the things he's called you to do if you don't obey the things he says. It's very simple. Following Jesus is, means you're not going where you want to go. You're going where he's going, which is obeying what he says. It's not complicated. See, counterfeit disciples, counterfeit disciples seek to fit Jesus into their lives. True disciples fit their lives into Jesus. That's how that works. So when I'm leading men in my D group, and we're now in this final phase, and I'm trying to sort out where are they in this following process, here is, I'm going to share with you, this is what I do. This is my key indicator that I use to gauge where a person is on the discipleship path. What do you think it is? Now listen, some of you are thinking, you're thinking, I know what it is. It's obedience. Well, go ahead and write it so you can scratch it out. (laughs) Because that's not it. Because you know what? The problem that I've run into is I got a lot of guys, a lot of people that are that think it's obedience, and, so, and what they're doing is they're trying to pretend to be obedient or acting like they're obedient or showboating about the things they are obedient, in, and it's all with the wrong motive. Here's the key. Agenda. That's the key. 
You want to know how somebody's doing following God? You're trying to gauge where they are as a, in fellowship. What is their agenda? Watch. Watch. Is it your agenda or is it Jesus' agenda? Remember in the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, for example, Jesus is 12 years old. The, him and his family go to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover, and Jesus gets lost. Now, he doesn't just get lost like, you know, you've lost your kids in Walmart. It's a whole nother level. The Bible says that his family is a day away and go, hey, where's Jesus? Like, parents of the year. Hey, uh, so the Bible says three days, 12-year-old Jesus is in the city of Jerusalem by himself. Ooh, talk about stressed out, Mom. And... You know, Mary's freaking out. Finally, they find him, and where is he? He's in the synagogue, and he's listening to the teaching, and he's asking all these questions, and the Bible says that the teachers were astonished at his knowledge and his wisdom. And so they go to, they find Jesus, and here's what Jesus says. Why did you seek me? Do you not know that I must be about my father's business? Agenda. Agenda. Jesus is on his father's agenda. He's not on his agenda. Uh, back in John chapter 4, I'll put this up on the screen. Jesus, uh, they, the, the disciples come to Jesus after he talked to the Samaritan woman at the well, and they say, Lord, has anybody brought you something to eat? Which really means, Lord, we're hungry, and so we were wondering, has anybody brought, because we want to get some food. That's really what that means. And Jesus says to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. In other words, all throughout the Gospels, what you find is Jesus establishing this issue of agenda, 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 agenda. And this is what you're going to find when you start discipling people. What is their agenda? What is their agenda? Why are they doing the things that they're doing? Are you motivated? You know, I'm listening. I'm listening every week as I'm meeting with these guys. And, I'm, and, and we've been through, this is who Jesus is. This is what he requires. This is who you are in Christ. And now in this last phase, we start talking about doing things. And so when we start talking about doing things, I'm not just listening to what are you doing. Why are you doing that? Whose agenda is it? And you see, it starts to show up in the real practical sort of rubber-meets-the-road places in life. See, for example, you don't follow if you're not there. So the first thing that, the fir first thing that happens is, I want to know where are you. See, a quick way to know where your agenda is is, are you here every single Sunday? Are you here on Wednesday? See, if you're in my D group and you're not, you, you miss, sun, you're, you have this typical pattern of, you know, you're here about three Sundays a month. Agenda problem. You got other things going on on Wednesday? Agenda problem. You got an agenda problem. Now remember, you think that I'm being tough on you. Negatory. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Hello? 
That's what he said. Now, you can act like you're saved. You can act like you're a Christian. You can act like you're a follower. But the bottom line is, if you ain't there, you ain't following. It's very simple. That's where agendas clash right there. Your time. Agendas clash in time. So, listen. This morning, don't be deceived. You're not what you think you are. You're what your life reveals you to be. That's what you are. Period. So you're not following if you're not there. What's the second one? Well, you're not following if you don't share. Where's the second place agenda's going to crash? Your resources. You knew we were going to have to get uncomfortable before we get out of here. Let's just be honest. If you don't, if your time, like you might have time to be in church, but you don't have time to devote to other people. You don't, your resources aren't, aren't available to other people. You don't share the things that you have. You got a fellowship problem. What do you, what do you do with your stuff? What do you do? That's an agenda issue. You don't follow if you're not there. You don't follow if you don't share. And here's the third one. You don't follow if you don't care. It's an agenda issue. See, if you just love the people that you're supposed to love, you're not following Jesus. If you just love the people who can do something for you, you're not following Jesus. So this is a discipleship model that you can just simply, you know, you can remember this easy. And as you're walking your own heart through this, it's very simple when you're discipling other people. What's their agenda? It's it's right there on display. If you don't know, give them an opportunity to to love somebody that, that makes them uncomfortable and see what they do. And if you resist that, there's a problem. You're still on your agenda. Agenda will always show you where you are in this process of following. We all want to deceive ourselves into believing that we're something that we're not. At the end of the day, especially in a church like this, you're surrounded by people who are genuinely following, so it should be very easy for you to see the difference. It should be very easy. But if your agenda is, 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 is real and right and true, That's how Jesus discipled Peter. That's how me and you can disciple each other. That's what we can devote ourselves to in the coming year. Not because it's easy or it's convenient or anything else, but because 
He's our Lord. He's our Lord. He's Savior. And you see, he's good, isn't he? Because it's not just... Uh, it's not just the hard things, is it? No. Sometimes it's the hard things. It's the hard things too, but it's also the good things. Like this afternoon, what a blessing to be able to go and, and, and be a part of what God's going to do this afternoon. See, that's, one, that's just a gift from God, to be able to celebrate baptism. See, that wasn't hard for you. You just had to sit here and watch and enjoy it. That's a gift. See? It's not all hard. But it is some hard. It's not all easy. So let's just be honest. Okay? Let's just be honest. Where are you? Where are you? Are you a genuine disciple? How do you know that? 